Sean moves better. Sean looks better. Sean's footwork is better. Uh, In-ring, Sean is better. Only thing Sean doesn't have is Sean just doesn't have high-profile matches and um, moments that are as memorable. He just does. He just doesn't have those. And honestly, given how old both men are, he may never have those. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I'm going to uh, just so you know, I'm going to cut out that Sean spiel that you use. First of all, it's not airing in the show because I don't want to lose the people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nobody's going to stick around for five minutes of Sean yeah. Spears in any way. Um, yeah. As he does on TV so much. Yeah. And furthermore, I'm going to use that next time we, we talk about Brad versus Sean argument. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you in the recorded glory to the second episode of Give Me the Book, your weekly wrestling podcast covering, covering rather, all things uh, wrestling related, including the John Cena's Instagram. Mm. And uh, with me is my co-host in his glory. Guys, Satoyo back at you once again. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening for your weekend pleasures. We are back, indeed, back by popular demand from the last podcast. And I believe we're now two for two as far as new WWE champions go. Yes, we are. Once again, once again, the lead is we have a new WWE champion. And uh, we'll start off with a hot take. I believe Monday Night Raw was the best episode of weekly wrestling television this week. I love the way it was built around the story of... You know, Miz being the chicken shit heel and doing what a smart chicken shit heel is supposed to do, trying to find every which way to weasel out, whether it's, you know, taking the count out loss in the R01, trying to talk Drew McIntyre and, you know, to get him to do his dirty work for him. And, you know, um, also before ultimately in the end, uh, having to face Bobby Lashley and, and then Bobby Lashley did what he was supposed to do as a dominant force. And that is beat the Miz in under five minutes. Yes. Yeah, I I think they definitely had an excellent uh, night of television. Also, because, you know, the payoff was appropriate. Let's not be mistaken. Had they done all that, but it didn't go the way that it was supposed to go, it would we would have different reactions to what they were were doing. But they definitely went in the right direction um, with that call. I think that. Again, Lashley, you know, aside from Drew, has really had a standout year um, going from the Performance Center to now the Thunderdome and all this stuff. I mean, the guy, I mean, this was a guy last year was fighting Aleister Black when Lana was his wife. You know what I'm saying? And like, it didn't, it didn't look good. Um, But then MVP came along, all of a sudden he elevates the United States Championship and again, anytime you can elevate a secondary title, I do believe you got to start being looked at appropriately. And um, 
it was one of those situations where I'll, they booked him in such a way that everyone was like, that's that's that dude, <laughs> you know, like that's that dude, whether you liked whether you liked him or not. Everyone's like, yeah, but it's Lashley, though. And Lashley has what is so important in professional wrestling, the hint of believability. And he doesn't just have a hint of it. He got the whole jar. You know, this is a national collegiate wrestler. This is a man with a, a very impressive MMA record, better than Brock Lesnar's. So it only made like it's like, yo, yeah, this dude puts hands on you and it's finished. So it only kind of made sense from there. So I, I think uh, I think they capped it off very, very well. And unless you were legit badass, we don't want to see you beat Lashley. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, Matt yeah. Riddle is a legit UFC fighter and yes. he really had to, you know, he had to pin John Morris. Yes. To take the title off him. And, that, and that's, minutes, yes. Yeah, there's just not, nothing you can do with him. Now, and the good thing is The Miz, you know, I think his WrestleMania program is set. I think it's appropriate, you know, use mm -hmm. of The Miz. You know, he has got Bad Bunny, the Grammy-nominated, multi-million dollar streaming opponent, and that's kind of the best use of him. Yes. Uh, what Now, Bobby Lashley, what we think next for him is probably Drew McIntyre, right? That's the collision course that we are waiting for. Yeah, I, I think that's what that's looking like. I think the the collision course between him and Drew is uh it seems appropriate unless they throw another figure into the mix there but him and drew is definitely that thing um and again those two especially on on monday nights for the past year have really really in a, for drew a year plus honestly um have really really done phenomenal phenomenal work and they're the two best guys that you have on that brand so it's one of these rare cases where, oh, okay, the best guys are actually the ones going at one another. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, 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 you don't get that too often at WrestleMania, quite frankly. So if they choose to go forward in that direction, that's very, very exciting. You know, um, if they throw another card into the mix um, or another person into the mix, hopefully that person is on the level of those two individuals. But quite frankly, there isn't many on the roster that could pull that off. I just don't I don't see who they can at this point. Um, I think, you know, about two weeks ago that we I mentioned there was a lot of moving parts and I think they kind of settled uh, really quickly. Um, we had pretty much what appears to be a blow off match between Drew and Sheamus to start right. Monday night, which was right. a, a great match. Yes. Um, and uh, Braun Strowman looks appears to be facing uh, Shane McMahon. Correct. Which will be fine. You know, Shane sure. is going to do a jump and then we're going to talk yep. about it the next day, yep. which is fine. That's kind of what we want from him. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I do want to kind of touch back on Sheamus. Has I don't know if this is a hot take or anything, but has Sheamus been the TV match MVP over the past few months for WWE? And the reason why I ask is there's not a lot of matches on television for all, mm -hmm. any promotion, I would say, to that right. really stick with you outside of pay-per-view events, you know, or right. New Japan major events. But Sheamus has at least five matches from the last few months that I can like readily remember. Yes. As yes. far as his match against Big E in the street fight, his match against Jeff Hardy in the bar fight, uh, the match that, you know, against Keith Lee on his ascension to the, mm -hmm. to the, the world title challenge, uh, his match against uh, Drew McIntyre this week. And there's one more that I don't a Matt Riddle oh, match. his match against Matt Riddle, which yeah, was one match. of my favorite matches in a very long time on Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. And he lost in all five of them. He's on for five in memorable matches. Yeah. So, 
you know, kind of helping, you know, I guess the young and now the talent just get over, but also making it look very believable. And I do feel like, you know, Seamus will look at him as somebody who got a push way before he was ready for it. Yes. When he started off his career. But now he might be one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world doing it. Yeah, I definitely think he's a wrestler who maximizes his minutes. Also, I think it's important to note that, you know, some of those matches they ran back and, and he was able to get, uh, you know, to get his wins. Uh, the mat, He did have a match recently with Jeff Hardy where he was able to get that back. Did have a match against Riddle where he was able to get that back. So this is, I think, with Sheamus is very, very interesting because we we have to remember, I mean, this guy was on the sidelines for quite a while. And a lot of people were like, yo, it's his back. He's done. It's over. They won't even let him finish. You know, and he leaned out, came back, and he has been an individual who has been maximizing his minutes and and making the most uh, out of every situation that he's put in. And um, he's been incredibly effective at it. He definitely, and again, his stuff, uh, the stuff with him and Drew, I really appreciated, even though I knew where they were going. I didn't know quite how they were going to get there. And even that match that they had on Monday night, it was a great, great match. And the thing about Sheamus is, is that Sheamus is in the mix. So we know where he is positioned and we know that at any point, okay, he could get bumped up due to necessity or due to them feeling like it's time. So I think that upon Sheamus's return, he has really, uh, I mean, again, that, and I think that comes with maturity. He has done an excellent, excellent job of maximizing the most that he can with his minutes and consistently putting out, you know, really, really solid matches because he's been a solid worker for quite some time. I mean, I think people forget, like I will always say to people, go back to, I think it was Hell in the Cell, his world title match against Big Show. I mean, tremendous match. Um, so the guy has always been able to work. I think it's one of those things with the maturity. It's it's not only how to work, but the manner in which you work. Uh, so I think uh, he's a guy that right now, it's probably in in a, in a in his performance prime. I, I might even say. Yeah, and it's very impressive because I don't know if you remember but there were uh, rumors, I believe, a few years ago that his career was you know in danger of being over due to the bad back. And mm-hmm. yeah, just happy to see him keep going and again like delivering and operating on a very very high level. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the one guy that I'm really not sure what they're going to do with him at WrestleMania, but. Maybe you just run it back with Riddle, uh, you know, keep that, you know, U.S. title uh, relevant. Yeah, or... I mean, they're gonna. you have a babyface holding a secondary title, so the babyface immediately needs threats. So, I mean, again, uh, you know, and this is the thing, Riddle, and he's already been to, Riddle has to start wrestling immediately. He has to defend the title immediately. And he's got to face people who are a consistent threat to him and who better than someone like Sheamus, a former United States champion in his own right, and actually a pretty good one, a one who was actually, like, fighting. And, and again, when the company wants to prioritize belts, they can do it just fine. So um, hopefully that's what they want to do with Riddle, and, you know, Sheamus would be an excellent dance partner. Agreed on that. Uh, Now, is there anything – do we want to talk about um, the – the dominance or, and I guess as far as Bobby Lashley ascension goes, I think it shows kind of factions being back on top. And I think, you know, the, the rise in a way, you know, people have said that um, the her business is kind of like the, the black four horsemen, if you will. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
And now, you know, on AEW this week, we have yet another version of the Four Horsemen, right? I think the reason why, as far as I can tell, right, and this is my critique of AEW, I don't see the reason why Tully Blanchard had to be in that match in the in the six, unless it was to drive the point that Tully Blanchard, FTR, and um, uh, I guess Sean Spears is the latest reincarnation of what Four Horsemen used to be. I don't, you know. Yeah, Go some ahead. type of some type of stable that is supposed to carry on the lineage. Honestly, I think I think it was, hey man, let's have Tully Blanchard in this match because Tully Blanchard can still work pretty well. So I, I think I think that was of course, yeah, also getting that aspect over. It was a nice way to not only use FTR, but also um, you know, Lucha or the the uh the the dragon, uh the uh, dino the dinosaurs. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. I tried the Jurassic tried, Express. The, yeah, man, I tried with that. I mean, one of one of them's a uh you know, guy who's millions of years old. So I tried. <laughs> I try, I try, bro. I try. I mean, again, but um, yeah, Jurassic Express. And I again listen, I like Jungle Boy. I think Jungle Boy is excellent. I like Luchasaurus. I even like Marco Stunt. I think that that was a good way for them to uh, blow off that feud. And Tully was Tully again was a real pro in that the minute he steps in, I'm like he can throw a better punch than <laughs> most guys in the business. He did his slingshot suplex, and that bad boy looked pretty. And they used him appropriately. But I think that uh, to the bigger conversation of that with the idea of factions. I mean, factions have always. Uh, dominated pro wrestling for the past 40 plus years or so, uh, you know, even, even, even with the horsemen, let's say, um, you know, the horsemen had a name, but you had other, you know, you, you would have a manager who would have a treasure trove of talent, like Bobby, the brain Heenan, you know, like Jimmy Hart, and they would have uh, names for, for these groups, but it was, or, or even slick, you know, back in the day. Um, so you would have these groups. So factions have always been there in, in NWA, JTEX Corporation, Gary Hart, Great Muta, Buzz Sawyer, Terry Funk, um, Dragon Master, I believe it was in the, in the late 80s. So factions have always, or even in the in the late 90s with the Attitude Era, you had Nation of Domination, you had Los Barriquas, you had the Hart Foundation, you had Degeneration X. Um, so you had all these found f- factions. Not every faction, of course, can be on top. Um, and I think that that is the thing that I think sometimes people get concerned about when it comes to factions. But AEW has a lot of factions. But think about it. You have so much talent on a particular roster. It stands to reason that some of us, for the sake of survival and upward mobility, are going to link up. New Japan is is classic for this. But it all makes sense because it's a way for one to create a group, to create a hierarchy within that group, to have the group get over, but also to build the guy. So let's say within the hierarchy, like of, let's say of, of, of like, you know, a, a main event faction, right? So I'll use Evolution as an example, right? Evolution was there. Randy Orton and Batista are the young boys, basically. And through time, as long as the, as long as the, the group is over, or at least perceived to be over, you can build up such a thing that all of a sudden you can create more main event talent. You can elevate the talent because not all talents are created equal when they walk into a faction. Hurt Business being a prime example. Uh, Shelton Benjamin was not being used. Cedric Alexander was lost in the mix. Bobby Lashley was in a ridiculous storyline that no one believed that was dead in the water. 
So it can, but everyone knew that he was just this inherent badass. So you bring them together as something and you build and all of a sudden it raises the collective profile of the entire group. WWE is really good. good at booking a dominant faction or uh, uh, a lower card faction. Okay. Yes. Uh, basically a faction for the dominant faction to get over on. Which is what, by the way, the reason why I maintain the retribution was a great success was because that was always their purpose. Retribution's purpose was always to get the her business over, which they did. See, and that and that's fair. I, I think the issue with retribution, I think why some people have a negative reaction to retribution, and I can understand why is is that there's nothing wrong with a faction that comes in that is not going to be the top of the line, but you don't want them to be presented in such a way and then them fail to live up to it. So I'll give a prime, like Nexus, right? Nexus was hot. Nexus was excellent. The WWE ruined Nexus to spite themselves as one of the most idiotic things that we had ever seen. And, and, and literally there was a point where, you know, John Cena regrets this now, but I remember, you know, Jericho and, and Edge being like, yo, you have to put these guys over. You have to put them over or they're dead in the water. They've done all this. They've beaten all of us up. They've ended every show. They've been out here fucking us up. They have to go over. If they don't go over, then this is this is pointless. It seems like, no, I will be DDT'd on the floor. I will kick out and I will win. And it ruined them. And in effect, ruined the career of Wade Barrett. He was never really able to get back that momentum. Now, he did have moments, but, you know, the E is also really good at chopping their nose off despite their face when someone gets over and that's not what they had planned. With the, the, the deal of retribution, look at how they were presented initially. They're shutting down the show. They are attacking everyone. All of a sudden, in the the little uh, the the things like in their Thunderdome thing or whatever, all this everything goes. It's black. It's retribution. It's all this other stuff. They were the ass kicker of ass kickers. So you're positioning them and you're putting them on such a rarefied air. These this is a faction that's so important they can shut down a show and nobody can come out there and and do that. It was only until then we realized, oh my God, they have these really terrible road warrior or you know Mad Max knockoff masks. And one of them is named T Bar. They've got Dominic Dijakovic out here looking like a buffoon. Yeah, murder them, please. And, and it, it was like, oh my God, you you built us it up them up way too high. And, and and again, like you built them up way too high so that you did the right thing in giving them to the hurt business, but my goodness, look at how you positioned them. We expected more. That's why we initially shit on it when you told us this is what it was. <laughs> because look at what you did. Look at look at what you did to them. That's you know, it's like you 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 set us up to believe it was going to be one way, and now you've shown us we hate this. And why? And points yeah. on this mm -hmm. one. Anything bad happening to Ryback is justice in the universe. So That's maybe right. maybe John Cena knew what he was doing all along. That's one. Number two, if they don't position them that way, then we don't care about this group. That's the thing that they made us care about a lower mid card faction, right? Like the the fact that Retribution had this momentum is the reason why they were more important than say you know the Job Squad or the the B team back in the day, right? The, so when the Hurt Business you know stood up to them and then repeatedly beat them week after week after week after week, we actually cared. And yep. we actually watched it. And now a lot of people were, you know, cared because, hey, look at this faction. They were supposed to be badasses and they keep getting their ass kicked. But other people care because, hey, but who's doing the ass kicking? 
Right. It's repeatedly. No. It's Lashley, it's Cedric, and it's uh, Shelton. And no, now, and, I, and, I and now like, it makes sense that this faction, who you know has been you know doing all the ass kicking, now has all the gold. Like the retribution did what they were supposed to do. And guess what? If you want to resurrect Dominic Dijakovic, just take off the mask and call him Dominic Dijakovic, and you can give him a nice run. You know, same yeah. with everybody. Oh no, they they can totally do that, and that's and that is a solid that is a solid point. Uh, and I and I do agree. I also know that it when you create expectations like that and you do not deliver in a way that that is that is obvious and makes sense you're going to receive a negative reaction but i do agree uh with that with that position um yeah you have plenty of time to do something else with dominic dijakovic or, or whoever mace is or whatever else you have time that's why you mask them up and everything like that and you know um thankfully there's no audience so you can sort of you can re you can rewrite that story however you need to rewrite that story um you know just if you're going to do it, do it now. But also at the same time, it's, it's been a good launching pad for Mustafa Ali, uh, which I think out of Retribution's whole deal, it's been very good to showcase Ali's personality, uh, to help him out tremendously. Hell, he just got a win over Riddle. You could put him in the United States title chase at Fastlane. Um, and also it helps out Mustafa, who's an incredibly talented professional wrestler who should be doing a lot more than what he is and is currently wrestling with a torn PCL. So this group kind of helps him showcase other facets of himself while he wrestles hurt because, you know, this is, this is his time to get over. So he's going to wrestle hurt. The man is an absolute full package. And with just a little bit of a push, he can absolutely, he can might be the next CM Punk. I mean, there, you know, he's Easily. as good of a promo, as good of a worker as, as he is. And, you know, I, I like the, the recent shoot stuff he's been doing on Twitter or on the, on the network as well. Yes. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. I'm a big, big fan of, of Mustafa. He's uh, without question. He's one of their, one of their brighter young talents who it's like, man, you got, you got, you got to do something with this dude, man. This dude is nice, bro. Yeah. He's every, he's a, yeah. He can talk like punk. He's a better worker. Um, Hey man. I mean, let this guy, let this guy have the opportunity to become a cult of personality. Well said. Now let's transition into the other four horsemen. Do you think a group, two, two questions. Now, do they still need a leader? Who do you think that is? Who is the Ric Flair of the AEW reincarnation of the four horsemen? And will they get one? I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just looking at something that's not there. And two, can a group of Sean Spears succeed as the uh, as the version of the Four Horsemen? If I, if for one, no Sean Spears slander will be tolerated here. Maybe because you have the same haircut that Ty Dojo used to have. Does Sean, not mean you have to listen. Sean Spears him. is a tremendous in ring performer. He is excellent. And again, I mean, God, if you look at, I mean, honestly, I remember when they when Sean Spears came in, I was like, yeah, bro. Ty Dillinger stinks. This is the guy I always wanted to see. Ty And it's like, you know I mean, again, like you look, that whole Ty, that shit sucked. Goodness. When WWE wants to suck, they suck the suckiest. But um, no, I, I think uh, honestly, within that new faction of whatever they are to be called, if I had the pick of a leader, I'd say Cody. <laughs> like I just be like, yeah, Cody, that's the best choice there. I think, um, I think, yeah, I think you can be successful with a group like with Sean Spears. You just have to have the proper build and position. You know what I'm saying? That's all you have to do. Every FTR, they're both solid enough talkers. Sean is a solid talker. Tully's a solid talker. And then it's just how they're presented. Uh, but if I had my pick of who that leader would be, 
it is Cody. We are doing some, but you have to extend it. You know, we gotta we gotta drag it out a little bit. And but he's also but it's hard. Cody's in the nightmare family. Um, but you know, I, yeah, I'd say Cody extend that deal a whole lot. Push it, push it, push it, push it. Have Cody turn and fuck all of us and upset us in front of people. And you'd be like, you motherfucker, you were going back on your word. How dare you? And he says, I'm the American nightmare. I don't care. But do I think that group can be successful? Without question. Uh, bell to bell, they're all excellent. You know what I'm saying? Bell to bell, every single one of them is excellent. Uh, on the microphone, they're all good. And AEW does a really good job in its presentation. And it's presentation of promos and vignettes. They do a very, very good job. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about them so long as there's enough TV to go around. We are on the road to WrestleMania. We're also on the road to Revolution, so we do have a lot to cover. I will only say this before we uh, move on. Uh, I do like the idea of right now having this uh, the three horsemen as kind of a, a, a template ready for, you know, the leader, whether you want whether they're, they can be there for the Cody's uh, heel turn or what I'm seeing, they can be there for MJF's, uh, you know, as an MJF stable right. once he finishes breaking up the inner circle. Right, right. Yeah. And with that in mind, now let's go ahead and preview the upcoming AEW Revolution. It is, yeah. I think, the first, uh, the first pay-per-view we have a chance to preview. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to just, you know, use the good old Wikipedia because the internet is never wrong to go through it. And the first match that, you know, is listed is the Young Bucks versus the Inner Circle, uh, the Chris Jericho and MGF. Um, I, I think the build was solid. If You know, again, a little kind of old school template, you know, so they bring in the family, they abuse the family. I don't think, you know, you need to cut a five minute promo explaining why you love your dad. I feel like you could have just attacked him, but you know, yeah. that's just, that's they fair were, they, they wanted to show they could talk. That's that's true. And it was for what it's worth a good promo for them. Um, I personally, again, I believe the young bucks have not had too long with the title on one hand. So I kind of want to see that run continue on the other hand, the inner circle winning. The, that is the thing. You can have the story with inner circle winning the title or losing the title. Either way you can continue the story. I say take the titles off the Young Bucks. They don't need them. Um, they are the babyface team that captured them. You don't need to see a long run from them. Take it off them. They don't need it. Um, the titles immediately become less interesting because they have it. And with uh, heel champions, with it, especially with an MJF and Jericho, you can do a lot more. Uh, I'm not sitting there saying that you're going to have, you won't have as many super kicks. You won't have as many flips. That'll be unfortunate. Uh, I'm sure many of your hearts are breaking at the knowledge of this. So sorry for you. But I do think that you can do more and it gives the Young Bucks another avenue and another thing to chase because the Young Bucks are only compelling, or let me rephrase, they are at their most compelling when they are chasing. That I, you know, I Young Bucks are good. I think they're, they're more than super kicks. I think it's a little... Ridiculous to just portray no, him no, as, such. Not, as, as, as a WWE show. I like nothing more than than uh, making fun of young bucks and their super kicking and uh, non-selling. You, for, and, you forgot you forgot the flips and the non-selling and the, <laughs> the, the nonsense they do. But they have shown they can tell a good story in the ring. At least Agreed. with the FTR, they can. Yes, I mean, well, FTR is like probably the, like maybe the best tag team in the world. So it's like you know, I mean, I, I actually, yeah, no, I think. Uh, yeah, I think I would put FTR as like 
pound for pound, brick for brick, the best tag team in the world, in my estimation. As would I. Now, this is a very pro FTR podcast. Uh, yeah. Moving on to another tag team, but the one that means a whole lot to you and a whole lot to, I think, a lot of wrestling fans out there. We got uh, Darby Allen and Sting facing Team Taz in a street fight. Mm-hmm. Now, again, as we talked about last week, I think the reason why this is such a good idea for this match is, again, the winner almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, again, it's the story of the match, and as long as everybody gets the rub and the fact that they're all involved with the Legends thing, yep. um, it's what matters. I do believe that it just makes more sense for Team Taz to win. I think it makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense for Darby Allen to put up a, a hell of a baby face fire in a fight and, and survive as long as he can until ultimately he can't. Yeah, I, I agree with you 110%. To me, again, as I've said before, I just want everybody to be okay, man. I just want everybody to be okay. But in the grand scheme of things, yes, Sting is my favorite professional wrestler of all times. I believe he is the greatest babyface of all times, when in reality, I know he's probably closer to the top five babyface of all times. Having said that, Ricky Starks and Brian Cage all the way, baby. Yes, 100%. You can book it. Book it, ladies, yes. ladies and gentlemen. It's a... Yes. Uh, what do you now? I I don't have it written down. I just have a, I had a thought. It, does it make sense now in his late career for Sting to finally do the heel turn that he never did? No, <laughs> no. Don't don't mess with no, it. No, So so for, keep in mind, Sting has done uh uh at least one heel turn. Keep in mind, people have to remember, Sting started out as a heel, and then uh you know when he was with Watts is when he turned babyface, and it was kind of where from there. The selfishness of the uh, great Hulk Hogan uh, forced Sting into a situation where a heel turn was necessitated in the fall of 1999 that went over like a wet fart in church. Uh, partially because no one really wanted to boost Sting in favor of Hogan. Everyone under, it was Hogan just doing the same shtick over and over and over again. Uh, Vince Russo was booking at the time. So, you know, Vince Russo had just gotten the book. So, you know, it was going to go very, very badly. And, um, Hogan didn't like how things were looking for him creatively. So Sting had this weird period where he was a heel kind of tweener character and everything like that. And it was, it was awful. Number one, because it wasn't booked properly. And again, if it's not booked properly, the talent's heart is less likely to be in it, especially when you are a star, especially when you are a superstar, especially when you are the franchise of the company. And then they tried to tease a little heel turn with him in TNA with the main event Mafia. But it was weird because he was a he was basically a babyface surrounded by heels. <laughs> he was like, it's about respect. And Scott Steiner was like, Samoa Joe's fat, you know, like, <laughs> and so. So it was sort of this weird thing here, but no sting. And again, Jim Cornette has even at like gone around. like, yo, I asked, you know, this sting, like, don't you want to see what it's like to be a heel? And things like, no, some guys just don't want to be heels. And some guys, it just doesn't make sense for them to be heels. You mean to tell me we want to boo a 61 year old man who just took a power bomb from Brian cage. I don't want to boo that man. I want to give that man soup. And see if he needs ice. <laughs> so, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't think a heel turn. Sting, there's a reason why Sting is one of the all-time great baby faces. Because he does that so, so good that seeing him do it the other way doesn't make much sense. Much like a Ricky Steamboat. Like, if you booed Ricky Steamboat, it's because you wrote Ricky Steamboat wrong. It's because you booked him wrong. 
right? Like that's how it is. Like in the eighties when uh, Steamboat was feuding with Flair and was it 88, 89, they wound up booing Steamboat because Steamboat's showing up there with his wife and his kid and Ric Flair is talking about, you know, fucking broads and drinking all night. And you had the degenerate Reagan era 80s white boy crowd. Who are they going to cheer? They certainly ain't going to cheer this Hawaiian man, you know, like in, in favor of this white Republican presenting dude who talks about getting women drunk and sleeping with them. They wrote it wrong. Every other scenario, Steamboat is cheered because he's a beloved good man. Same thing with Sting. 80s was a different time. Uh, well, yeah. When you talk about Sting eating soup, why, I, I do imagine the soup to be black and white, like a Tim Burton flick. Um, Makes sense. The next match is uh, the AEW Women's World Championship. I think AEW has done a great job kind of building up the women's division with the tournament and the eliminator and some of the best matches on television, on AEW television at least, yes, yes. have been the women's talent matches. Yes. And we have uh, Rio versus uh, Hikaru Shida for the the belt i think it's too i think everybody got built up with the tournament except for rio i think she's still kind of unknown quality as far as the champion i mean she's had a good great match to win the title but obviously has been on the sidelines watching the tournament unfold right, and then right. meanwhile so I, I see her defending her title yeah yeah i think uh Karushita, you keep it on her you keep building towards that the person who takes it off her whether it be Britt baker whether it be, I mean, again, there's such a treasure trove. Of, you got Thunder Rosa, you got Britt Baker, you still have, you know, Nyla Rose, you uh, you have Serena Deeb, who you know is my personal favorite. Um, you know, so you have all you have all these. You have Riho still there, so you have all of these people who are legitimate successors to what is now a very very uh, prominent reign by Karushita. I don't see a reason to stop it. Um, She's a very, very solid worker, especially when she's in the ring with a good worker. She will look excellent. So hopefully that's what we get tomorrow. Well, and furthermore, your your division now has two more female stars after this week. Exactly. The, the, the beautiful thing about what they did with the Shaq match and one of the, you know, another excellent use of celebrity, which wrestling has weirdly has been consistently good in the past year. Uh, yeah, yeah. With, you know, Bad Bunny coming in and then, you know, not kind of hogging the spotlight, but they're shining it with Pat McAfee being the rookie of the year and now with Shaq's first professional debut, not only was it a fun match, but I think it established Jake Cargill and uh, Red Velvet as two major, major players in the division. Yes. You know, and isn't it something, and I, and I can I can definitely say I know why uh, you've had a good year of celebrities in pro wrestling, because these are celebrities that actually respect what it is that they are getting into. They respect it. They like it a whole lot. They want to be a part. They're not there to overshadow. You know, like Pat McAfee was they let Pat McAfee kind of do what he wanted. And then he got over and they went, oh, my God, look at the charisma. And it's like you let him do what he wants. You just tell him, hey, get this point across and you let him do it. You don't write his stuff. OK, now, uh, you know what? The kind of OK, fine. So you have that, Um, you know, you you I mean, Bad Bunny is a huge wrestling fan, respects what they do. Uh, doesn't want to overshadow, wants to be a part of. That's a big distinction. So they're not coming in with that ego. Shaq, same deal. Shaq came into that situation. Hey, let me give a tribute to Brody Lee, uh, which I thought was super cool, and put me through a table. Body slam me, put me through a table. I'm here for this. Meanwhile, you know, like you said, Red Velvet and Jade, both, the, both those two, I, I thought 
I think Jade will get so much better as time goes along. Like, you know, she's already got like some good fundamentals there, but I thought they, I mean, they both looked tremendous. Jade is a specimen. Um, and they got to win and Shaq was knocked out in a table because they understand I am a visitor in this space. Yeah. It's again, very encouraging to see. I do think that's the, if there, there's the silver lining of the diminished uh, ratings and the popularity of wrestling is the fact that people who come in here from entertainment world are doing it for the love and not necessarily for greater exposure. Yeah, we saw that with Stephen uh, Arnell a couple of years ago, right? Or Armel or whatever, the Green Arrow. The, the, the Green Arrow, that's right. Yeah. Um, the next match is the Hangman Adam Page, who is comfortably hanging around the mid-card, which I think longer than most people expected. Mm-hmm. Against big money Matt Hardy with again a very old school stipulation straight out of uh Crockett. Uh yes. the winner receives the loser's 2021 first quarter earnings. I like that they yes. specified it to first quarter. Yeah, first um, quarter, yeah. Yeah. Who do you have to who do you have taken this? Me per, uh, person? Go ahead, you go first. I'll wait, wait. Go. Well, to me, I mean I, I sit there and say this: you continue to build up hangman and you continue to build up hangman and his relationship with the dark order you continue to build on that you got and i do appreciate big money matt i do i actually i love i love the just the character in and of itself of big money matt hardy because it's stoked in reality like it is kind of like we have to we can't the guy is filthy rich like yeah he's been a millionaire for a while like he's been like you know mid-20s yes and so and always found a way to sort of keep himself in good he's a country boy from north carolina the dollar goes farther down there (laughs) so so uh yeah but i think you continue to build uh hangman because you have to um because hangman is is being established and he needs these rubs he needs these looks he needs these moments uh so yeah that's where i would go my counterpoint to that would be two of them, I guess. One, if you were, you are going to have a big money unquote, character and then give it a little bit more life, it'd be weird for him to lose money. Sure. Right? He, he, his whole thing is he gains money. Whereas someone like Adam Page, who is this kind, you know, blue collar cowboy, can afford to get screwed out of it. Right? It's a, it can sure. be a screwy finish. He loses, goes on the rampage, and then you know joins with a dark quarter because now he is broke, <laughs> you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you can build a story and then actually have him get screwed out of his money and then, you know, come back, you know, twice as bad and, you know, be, beat up everybody in his path, which is would be big money, Matt Hardy and uh, the entire private party. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Next match, very highly anticipated. We have the face of the revolution letter match, unfortunately titled, uh, but Highly anticipated, nonetheless. Uh, with Cody Rhodes, Scorpio Sky, Penta, Lance Archer, Max Caster, and the the worldwide known TBA. Mm-hmm. Now, TBA. Who, who do you have? Who you have taken this? And who do you if, have the, the TBA? If you're, if you're not going to give it to Cody, I say give it to Scorpio Sky. I say put it on Scorpio because... They did, they did my man a bit of a disservice. They did a boo-boo with the sky of Scorpio. Uh, they had built him up tremendously on AEW Dark, really, really showcasing what it is that he could do. Um, and then he lost to Cody in 12 minutes. And it wasn't really, that wasn't, that, that, I don't think that was the right call. I'm not saying Cody going over was the wrong call. I'm saying it's the manner in which he did it. And from there, 
And, and here's why I say that, because I knew the minute I saw that, I said, he's going to be SOL for a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's not showcased as much. He, he loses the few to, uh, to Sean Spears. And I'm like, oh, well, you, now you have – he loses to Sean Spears, so now he's even further down. And then they showcase him even less on, on, on Dark. So, um, to me, it's either you have him have a really good showing – or you give them the damn thing. As far as who the two be announced is, I don't know. See, a lot of times with these like special deals of like, oh, we have a TBA. I'm at an age now where I'm just like, sure, if that's what you, you'll, you, you don't tell me. Twitter gonna tell me. That's fine. Cause I don't wanna speculate too much because um, it's a ladder match for something that we don't know if it means anything yet. Right. So it's like, who is the face of the thing? We don't know what that means. We don't know what that's gonna mean in the future. Um, I believe I believe the winner gets uh, gets a shot at the TNT title. Right. Okay. So it does have stakes to it. My apologies. Um, But yeah. So even with that, uh, I still the premise remains the same. I don't know who the I don't. It. I don't. You know. It's just. It's just a ladder match that guarantees some someone something down the line. Cool. Whoever the TBA is going to be is who it's going to be. Now, AEW has promised uh, a big major sign, Hall of Fame worthy, as the, sure. the, I believe the words we used, signing. Sure. What I see, I'm, I'm not, again, not going to be in the business of fantasy booking or predicting who it is. What I do think is going to happen is I think they'll have somebody debut during this match, and I think they'll save someone Hall of Fame worthy later on. So I think yes. what they're going to pull, um, uh, with uh, show and bait, a bait and switch, rather. Um, do yeah. apologize, ladies and gentlemen, I am an immigrant. Sometimes I forget the words. Um, yeah, so I think they're going to pull a bait and switch on us, have somebody who is very athletic, but maybe not Hall of Fame worthy in this match, and then have a bigger name come out in the later on in the show. Um, yeah. That being said, again, it's a multi-man match. The person I personally want to see win is Penta. I think the man is a star. I was a huge fan of him on Lucha Underground. I think he kind of mm-hmm. carried that show, at least during the first season, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he has not been showcased nearly as much as his brother or, you know, he hasn't been showcased much on TV at all recently. So um, we'd love to see him get an opportunity. And again, just a 13-year-old me uh, to see Penta against Darby Allen for the title would just mark out. Right. So It would be your everything. It would be it, – it really, truly would. Two dark characters going at it, they're just misunderstood. Um, the next match we have is the best friends against Miro and Kip. Um, I believe, as far as I know, there was a, a ruined. We had a ruined wedding. Yes, there uh, was. tradition. And yeah, have they done anything else to build up that feud? Or they have. They've done a lot of vignettes and a lot of talking. And um, I think I think one of them had. I think Miro had a match uh, going into it. So they it, it's it's positioned appropriately given what it is. And I think that Miro has a real gripe uh, with Charles. I think he's right. I think everything that he says about Charles is correct. I think Charles needs to get his life together. Miro was on a path of, of showing a young Charles Taylor how to be a man. And Charles, in his, in his little Southern Kentucky defiance, hmm, rebel yell, couldn't help himself and had to then go to whatever. So we are Miro, Kip Sabian, all the way in this house uh, because more Miro is always a good thing. More Miro and more Miro just being because the reality of it is, and I know they will unleash the man and I can't wait until they do because whew, that, that man is a mighty man. I think that story of Miro unleashing is better if he turns on Kip. Yes. I think right now 
you have you sh- mirror it because he hasn't have too many moments on AEW yet. He still mm-hmm. looked at as a former WWE guy. Yep. And personally, I if I'm a W fan, I want to see Orange Cassidy pin a big former WWE guy. Yeah, so that's I what mean, I'm that, going with. That makes sense for their brand. I totally get that. Miro is on a path to veteran Charles. You can't do anything with Orange Juice. He's finished. Okay, Orange Juice is done. He's he is who he is. Nonchalant. Nothing. Nothing bothers him. Blood pressure at one over one. It. You know, it's fine. Yeah, but he's also one of the most over. I was, Arguably, without, no, no, yeah. yeah, no, without question, he's totally, he's totally over. Mm-hmm. He's to, but we're talking about Charles. Okay. We're talking about <laughs> bettering Charles's life, and that's what Miro's trying to do. Miro and Kip, baby. Well, we shall see. Uh, we have the Casino Tag Team Royale, which again, I'm not a not a fan of previewing battle royals. Are you, my friend, or do you hold the same opinion? No, I do not care. Oh uh, yeah, we will. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, it'll be mm-hmm. someone good. It'll be entertaining. Uh, It'll be entertaining without question. If FTR is in this, let's go with FTR because we're both fans of them. Yes, Uh easily. And then for your main event, uh, we have John Moxley back to main event, uh, AW Revolution, which he main evented last year. This is for AW World Championship, and it is an exploding barbed wire death match against Kenny Omega. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, they, they, They have yet to have a bad match. So I can't wait to see what they pull off here. <laughs> the last time they had a match, it was a death match. And yeah. I believe, uh, oh, no, it was a lights out match. I do apologize. It was, it was match, yeah. what, what it was called. And it was it was entertaining, but it was also hard to watch in some moments. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a lot of a lot of hurt and, and blood was spilled. And I think yeah. they're going to try and top this one. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, I believe it's something we said last week. There had, just hasn't been too many death matches that you want to go back and watch twice. Right. Do you think this one will break with the tradition? Do you think this will be a rewatchable death? Uh, I think they have the potential to, because you have two guys who can kind of, you have two guys who to whatever degree, they at least believe in telling some type of a, a, a story in there. The prime aims are still to win. So that's a very important story with John Moxley. His story is of course, incredible violence, but it's also to win. So that tracks Kenny is the bout machine, the best in the world that's ever done it. His goal is still to win. So with those prime characteristics, yes, you want to cause harm and inflict punishment and damage, but they want to win. And uh, as a result of that, they're going to try to win. And that tells the story in and of itself and how they go about doing that will be very, very interesting. So I, I do uh, believe that if there's any two people that could have a rewatchable death match, it's those two. Um, but also, you know, I'm Onita's. I've never wanted to watch a regular Onita match. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so, so yeah. I do think, believe if your uh, signing that you've been hyping up is as whole of fame worthy as you and as big as you have been hyping him up to be, I feel like he, he debuts during this main event. Right, because yeah. if he doesn't debut during main event, then maybe he's not as big of a deal as you made him out to be. Sure. sure. So I believe that he's going to, you know, come in and probably interfere on Kenny Omega's behalf, who I have retaining the title oh, and yes. giving the brand new, or I think, is he, yeah, or uh, a brand new dad or a dad on his way to be John Moxley, yeah, uh, a much needed break. Yes. Yeah, Moxley's done a really good job of carrying that company and helping carry that company. 
for I mean since its inception really and uh, definitely is world champion uh, through really I mean talk about a dark period in wrestling a dark period for a new promotion goodness gracious so yeah if a break is needed for him even if it's like a month or whatever because he's still the IWGP United States champion so we know the break ain't gonna be too long but uh, yeah he's definitely due for a rest and you've got to create a situation where you can have him go away and it makes sense. Before we go, before we uh, before we leave, there's two more topics I want to touch on really quickly. I know we yeah, are we are running out of time, uh, as uh, as the old cliche would say. But I do think I want to touch on Cody um, Bushi, my pick personally for the best wrestler in the world today. Wrestled okay. twice this week, uh, beat Naito for the in the very last defense of the New Japan Continental Title, mm-hmm. uh, build that and beat Desperado to retain the double championship or as it will be known going forward as the world heavyweight title. Now this comes a week after the PWI recognized, um, expanded their recognition of world heavyweight titles. Um, So can you please just talk about both the importance of that, how you feel about the intercontinental title in Japan going away and just any thoughts you have on titles and belts? I do find it interesting. I don't necessarily like the idea of dissolving the titles. I was a big fan of the IWGP intercontinental title. The IWGP title was already recognized as a world's championship, has been for well over 30 years, uh, or 20 years, I'm sorry, uh, definitely since the early 90s, late 80s. So it always had world title status. Them doing this, that's for them to do. That's for just New Japan is doing that for New Japan. They were already recognized as a legit world's championship. So that's neither here nor there. Um, I think that... Belts have purposes because they actually do matter and they actually do mean something. So to create the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, which quite frankly, a lot of us already called it that, is is good in theory. You know, it's, it's fine. Um, I think that when you get rid of a strong title that has, has created, and again, the Intercontinental title in a very short period of time created such an incredible uh, legacy and lineage, thanks in part to Shinsuke Nakamura, most specifically, to mo- it's not even it's not an erasure, but it's like man, I just believe in keeping those traditions going forward. Also, the name of the title makes sense. So the, the, the stickler in me is like, why would you get rid of an intercontinental title? It's in the name. You know what I'm saying? Like you could have a world champion, but you also have an intercontinental. It's the you know, it's the national champion, the US it's like you have the thing. Why are you getting you want to get rid of that to keep what the never open weight like garbage, trash, nonsense. Um, so yeah, not a not a fan of seeing it go, but you know, people do what they do. Again, the WWE at one point got rid of their intercontinental title. Didn't help the company at all. Didn't make the product better. But New Japan must make the same mistakes and they must be permitted to. And then when they come to their senses, they can uh, do the right thing. But um, I do believe that when you when you try to do these things of like, okay, well, now we're going to add another layer. to It's now the world. It's like it was already that Um, you're just doing that for whatever purposes that you're doing it. Uh, I do think, though, they have done an excellent job of letting people know that the IWGP championship, the IWGP world heavyweight championship is among the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious in professional wrestling. Uh, When WWE was doing a lot of nonsense and Gaga and, you know, uh, at the top, a lot of us 
were paying attention to what was happening to the IWGP title. A lot of us were paying attention to Tanahashi, a lot of us, and then Okada, and then, you know, all that. And then, you know, Jay White years later after the fact, and now Ibushi and Naito and that whole deal. So um, they have always done an excellent, excellent job of presenting their championships, which is why I'm in part sad to see the Intercontinental title go because it was the best Intercontinental title that there was in professional wrestling. Um, and now you're left with the never open weight championship garbage, ugly belt, whatever. Uh, I'm sure great matches will come as a result of this, but anytime you do something like this and it's not, it's not what they're doing is not breaking new ground happens all the time. And the NWA, they did it all the time. The national title will become the U S championship or, or, um, you'd have two belts come together. And they were both reached like the Mid-South, you know, they would have their television title. Another place would have their television title. You bring those two belts together to become the world's television championship. This is a common thing that has been done. They're not reinventing the wheel. The Intercontinental title will be back. Yes, I agree. I, I do like the, the Neverweight Open Championship. Personally, I like that because, again, it kind of like, um, you know, with uh, New Japan placing importance on the, the weight classes, it is a way for for us to see people of, you know, uh, juniors and heavyweights compete for something. And also just the fact that it has become your uh, beat the shit out of your opponent uh, championship where, you know, this is kind of where you go through to just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, watch like two people who just brawl, basically, do more brawling style, less maybe classical technical. So I do like the fact that this championship kind of has its own character and it has its own unique purpose. Whereas the continental title was just your secondary title. It was the title you win before you go for the main title. Yeah, uh, yeah, in many ways, which is nothing wrong with that. I think, it, but I think it has it definitely serves a purpose. Um, and yeah, I do agree with you. I do think it would be missed, and I do agree with your point. And at least until Intercontinental Title in WWE headlines WrestleMania, uh, New Japan Intercontinental Title was the best Intercontinental yes. Title. Yes. Um, and of course, before we go, just want to talk about the man who has passed away this past week. Maybe. Um, He's not the lead. He's going to be the main event of our podcast, uh, Jimmy Crockett Jr. Um, again, very, you know, important figure, I think, in the wrestling who has been, you know, laying low for the past several years. But I don't think his impact uh, and what he did, you know, back in the day has been forgotten. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Crockett, uh, what can be said about him as a booker and, and, and things like that with JCP Jim Crockett promotions? You know, I mean, his run basically lasted from 76 to about 87, you know, with uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, his first term as uh, president, you know, taking over. It was in, what, 1980, I believe it was, and uh, ended, and this was him as president of the NWA, and uh, ended in 82. Um, and then, uh, you know, so he's he's been, he's had just an, such an integral hand in the professional wrestling business, and what he was able to do with Jim Crocker promotions, had it been better managed or even been in New York, we could maybe be having a different discussion overall. Um, But I mean, goodness gracious, man, that was a lot of my, that was the, like I, I I came in like really towards the tail end, like actually technically it was, it was still Jim Crocker promotions for like another year. Um, But that was like my first foray into professional wrestling. And studio wrestling was Jim Crockett Promotions and getting to see all of these amazing characters um, who had carte blanche to get themselves over 
And it, looking back now, it kind of looks like an, an incredible Shark Tank because it, they weren't just interviewing Ric Flair there in studio wrestling. They were also interviewing, you know, Rick Rude. You know, they were also, you know, interviewing, of course, the other horsemen, Manny Fernandez, you know, uh, the Midnight Express. So I often look at that, like, if you go back and watch the stuff from the 80s, look at the promos that WWF was doing, look at the promos that WCW was doing. You had a couple standouts in both. You had in WWF, you had, of course, Piper, you had Savage, you had Hogan. And but on the on the flip side of that, you had all these incredible, colorful characters who were less micro, who were less managed and had to really sort of get themselves over in these sort of shark infested waters. Um, And uh, they this again, these guys were doing dome shows before WWE ever thought to really do dome shows consistently. You know, of course, WrestleMania three being an exception. Um, But they were, of course, you know, Jim Crockett is from the era where. You ran wrestling on Thanksgiving night. You ran wrestling on on Christmas night. And, uh, you know, just a lot of amazing angles came out of that promotion. Uh, Sting got his first foray onto the national scene and Jim Crockett promotions. Ric Flair got to be Ric Flair because of Jim Crockett promotions. So in terms of what he did as a, as a you know, as a promoter, man, it, it really can't be... It cannot be understated, you know, um, and to have a 12 year run in the wrestling business is pretty impressive. And, you know, for those who don't know, Jimmy Crockett's promotion is what ended up becoming WCW. Correct. So all those stars who we think of WCW stars, your Ric Flair's, your Stings, your kind of, you know, people who've been there from the beginning, uh, they started out with Jim Crockett promotions. Yes. Before that. Yeah. Or at least they were there. I'm gonna they say were there, yeah. Started. But they were there, yeah, they were. at the time. And yep. has a, a lot of their legacy with that promotion. Correct. Uh, I think this is it for us. I think we have given a, a very entertaining 60-hour Broadway uh, yes. to the listening audience. Yes. Um, we should probably head out. I have absolutely nothing to plug. I don't have much going on that the public needs to consume. Uh, Satori, do you have anything to plug? Not so much anything to plug. If you do want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Satoyo1. That's S-E-T-O-I-Y-O-1. Also, we didn't get a touch on it because we simply did not have enough time. We will get to the John Cena Instagram at some point. Um, then next week, we're definitely going to get that out the way next week. That's going to be top of the agenda. So much is happening in pro wrestling. Also, please check out New Japan World. The New Japan Cup is currently going on. Some very exciting things are happening over there on that end as well. But yes, we'll get more to that next week. John Cena, Instagram post, New Japan Cup. It's going to be tremendous. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Give Me the Book, episode two. You have a great day out there. Peace.